Greetings, 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 and welcome to another edition of Out the Box Talks. I am your host, Krill. We are back for another episode, and this episode is special, not just because it's the 99th Out the Box Talks episode, and we're just one episode closer to our 100th episode, but it is my last main interview on Out the Box Talks of the year. So uh, I'm really excited to be at this point. I'm excited to have the guests that will be present with me on this show. Um, I've been, found out about his music, honestly, for the first time, probably like a month ago, or maybe a a few more than that with another project he put out. Uh, But definitely this year was my first time learning of him and he put out a new album called Beautiful Soul, which we're going to talk about today uh, that I just, I'm just loving every moment of it. It's such a well put together, well produced album. So yeah, we're going to talk to this brother a little later on, but before I do that, I do want to shout out a few things related to Out the Box and also some stuff going on with me uh, as well. So Always remember, you can catch us on the website, outtheboxmedia.com. You can find all of the previous Out The Box Talks interviews, all of our earlier interviews on Out The Box TV, the YouTube platform that is, you know, you're, you're watching this episode on. Um, also, we have our merch store there that you can find there, but you could also go to our merch page at outtheboxmedia.bigcartel where you could get the snapback hat. And we also got some Out The Box Talks podcast shirts and some other, you know, hip-hop merch that uh, I think um, if you are a fan of the show and you you like what we do, and you just appreciate just really thought-provoking, creative, and conscious hip-hop, you'll appreciate some of the merch up there. Uh, Also, we have our Patreon page where you can find access to exclusive interview clips that are not available to the general public. You have to be a member of Out The Box Media. If you want to get an idea of the different artists that we have as far as these exclusive interviews, you can go to this link, patreon.com slash outtheboxmedia. The links will also be in the description of this video or in the description of the audio podcast as well. All right, but um, we have about 30 interviews and counting. So um, if you like what we do, I, I try to reserve some really special questions for the Patreon, you know, subscribers and, and that content over there. So um, definitely go over to that link and support it if, if it's something you think you would like to, you know, um, be a Patreon of. And uh, the next thing I want to mention is uh, you can also leave donations to us if you like what we do and you're not really into the subscribing thing with the Patreon or even the merch, but you just want to send us a quick donation. We we accept that too, (laughs) you know, so definitely support us by going to Cash App at Cash Tag Out The Box Rep. Or you can uh, hit us up donations via PayPal, paypal.me slash outtheboxmedia. Again, these links will be in the description of the video and in the description of the audio podcast as well. So, yeah, I wanted to get that out the way. One other thing, very, very important thing I want to mention is I just released my debut album. Uh, For those that may not know, uh, prior to me even starting Out The Box, 
you know, in 2009, you know, 13 years ago, MCing was my thing. You know, uh, I, I was MCing while I was in high school. Uh, I put out an EP, my first EP when I was in college. So, you know, 15 years later, I, in this year, I started recording and, you know, writing again and really just teaching myself how to produce and record on my own. And uh, the result of that in the beginning of this year has come in the form of an album. It was actually supposed to be an EP, but when I looked at all the tracks that I was putting together and the duration of the time, it ended up clocking over 30 minutes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make this an album. So uh, my new album is entitled Growth and Balance. It's now available on bandcamp.com. If you go to, I'll put the link in the description as well. Uh, but it's a, a very um, special album to me because it's my first album. But I also put a lot of thought in into, you know, what I wanted to speak about, you know, and just share from, you know, my inspirations and, and my my goals and, you know, even some of my challenges that I've had to overcome uh, is, you know, reflected in the music. So definitely check it out. You know, uh, it's all the beats are produced by me as well. Everything was done by me except for the artwork. Um, I mean, the concept for the artwork was mine, but the artwork was actually done by someone else. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, go check it out. It's available now on Bandcamp. I'm looking to release it on digital streaming platforms in the new year. So, um, but yeah, for now, it's on Bandcamp, man. So any support with that, I would really appreciate. Thank you to all the people who have been supporting. Man, it is it's a big deal to get that support so far, man. It really means a lot, and I appreciate y'all. So yeah, so I just wanted to say that, um, and I'm not going to keep uh, this intro too long. I want to invite my guests who I have for the show today. So uh, just a few things I want to mention in regards to my guests, like, he has been putting out music since I just learned 1996. So I mean, you're, that's that's like two decades, right? Like that's that's a long time and, and more. And um, you know, I just first heard about him, you know, with the We Met in Tokyo project that he put out with MC Substantial in August of this year. And then I also learned that he put out um the Honey Pack EP with a. Uh, MCV Steez uh, as well. So, I mean, this brother's catalog is vast. It It's 21 albums he's released thus far. Um, he put out the uh, Trapped in Jazz instrumental EP this year. He also put out the Jazz Dust project this year. He put out the Neon instrumental project. And like I said, and also uh, the Lilla Pack, Lil, the Lilac Pack, I'm sorry, the Lilac Pack project with MC Vistis earlier in March of this year. So just this year alone, this brother has been <laughs> extremely consistent. And then when you look at his catalog, even years back, it's just projects on type of projects. So I'm really excited to talk to him today. Uh, he is hailing from the UK, uh, a native of Hackney East London to be exact. <laughs> so um, another special thing about him is, you know, for this show is that he's actually the second UK artist that I'm having on the platform. You know, some of y'all may know I had Chima Anyo on the show uh, a few, uh, what about a few weeks or months back. And so it's really cool to have this brother on the show, man. So without further ado, I want to welcome to our Out the Box Talks 
listening and viewing audience, my brother hailing from East London, UK. Welcome to Out the Box Talks, the homie, Funky DL. Yo, 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 what's going on, Crow, man? Good to see you, bro. What's good, brother? I know my intro was kind of long, man, but listen, man, you... You have been doing it for so long, man. I had to give you some accolades, man, for um, just your effort and your existence and your continuation as a artist, you know, in this music world, man. I appreciate having you on the platform and thank you for your contributions, man. Nah, you're most welcome and I'm glad to be here, man. You know, I don't really do much interviews um, but then I don't really shy away from doing it. People ask me and, um, and I got the time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down to do it because I love to be able to share my um, creative journey with, with, with people and um, get to really explore what it is that I bring to the hip hop fold, you know? Absolutely, absolutely, man. Like I, I was telling you earlier before we jumped on, like I didn't realize that you had done so much. You know what I mean? Like, just your bio alone talks about a lot of your achievements, you know? So, in a way, I feel like, wow, like, I am I feel kind of, like, out of the loop. You know what I'm saying? In terms of, you know, all that you've done, you know? So, I, I would like for you to start by, um, you know, just giving people some insight on what, got you started with music like what inspired you to pursue this thing professionally um i think when i was a like really young boy you know maybe about seven eight years old i was into my well, I, have, I have an older brother who's a year older so we were both into like a lot of the reggae sound systems um you know a lot of those MCs, but they would call them DJs, even though they were MCs. And so we would listen to a lot and they would do the, you know, the, the raga and reggae chatting and toasting. And it was all lyrical, very fast, and very quick and very, um, very playful, you know. And then what happened was by the time I, I got to like 11 years old, my older brother started to listen to hip hop a bit more. And he started to get tapes from, from my uncle. And they were like, just, you know, tapes of like Booyah Tribe and Biz Marquee and KRS-One and Schooly D. And so my brother would play that music a lot. And it, it, it fascinated me somewhat. I liked the storytelling aspect of, of the rap I was hearing. Like when I heard Biz Marquee's The Boogers and I heard um, Special Ed's The Mission and KRS-One's Love's Gonna Get You, they were all storytelling. And so I was fascinated with how these, these rappers were telling stories that you could you know quite vivid imagery mm -hmm. through the words you know and um but what happened was it got to a point where i think it was around 88 89 and the jungle brothers put out um straight out the jungle and when i heard that there was something different about that there was something different in the music there was something like rhythmically and, and melodically in a lot of the samples that they used that was I guess in some senses a bit more mellow, you know, mm. a bit more melodic and harmonic. Um, but then what happened was then De La Soul dropped Three Feet High and Rising in 89. And then I was like, this is a different type of, like I loved rap at that point, but it, this was a different thing, a different energy. Mm. 
And then by the time I heard in 1990, Tribal Quest, People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm, I was gone. I was like, whatever it is that these guys are doing over here, I want to do this because there was something magical. There was a source that they had with making music. And then, you know, I would hear the Jungle Brothers second album done by the forces of nature. And then Tribal Quest dropped Low End Theory. And, you know, De La Soul, the De La Soul is dead. And, it, and all of a sudden it was just, it felt like a movement mm. of a style of music, you know? And obviously as time went on, then you learn about Pete Rock and CL Smooth and, you know, um, Black Sheep was out. And it was just this whole movement of melodic hip hop, jazz influenced. Um, and for me, it just, there's something that resonated so much mm. that I just decided, I think by the time I was 13, I just decided that's what I want to do. The way that that music makes me feel, I want to try and make music that can make people feel like that. And that I was just hooked. So that's kind of how I, I got into it, you know. Well said, man. Native Tongues definitely <laughs> is a very influential type of music, you know, and just the type of music, you know, like you said, Jungle Brothers, De La, Tribe, all of them were doing, man. So I can see it. I can see the connection, too. Tell the people out there, like, how did you come up with the name Funky DL? I mean, my name, it's funny because obviously, like, the word funky, um, it's quite an old school word, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's quite an old school word. But, it, you know, it, it kind of is indicative of that time, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, and just the way, you know, hip-hop music was. You know, you had Kid and Play at that time, and they would refer to music as funky, and you know, and so that that was the name that I, I took on board. And then the DL stands for Deaf Lyrics, and of course, Deaf means dope, means good, like Deaf Jam, and you know, so so Deaf. And so again, it's a pretty old school word, word, you know, Deaf. Um, but it's like I, I just felt like I'm, you know, lyrically back then I was I was nice, and so it was like I'm funky, and I got Deaf Lyrics, and that's that's how the name Funky DL came about. Really, it's quite simple. But it would be when you're like 13, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and, and it's it's pretty cool that you actually stuck with it. Like, you know, when when did you actually come up with it? How long ago was that? That would have been around 1990, 1993, maybe 92, 93. So that's way back, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a name that MCs would have around that time, right? Like the <laughs> yeah. early 90s. So it's yeah. cool that you stuck with it. Who were your, who would you say, you know, were your like artist influences coming from the UK that inspired you to do music, but specifically from the UK? There weren't, there weren't any really, mm. there weren't any, if I'm honest, because at that time, UK rap, UK rap went through like a really, really strange phase. So what happened was in the very late 80s and very early 90s, there were artists like the Cookie Crew, um and Derek B and um We Papa Girl rappers and they were really mainstream, really commercial artists. You know, they put out a record that it'd be top 40 and they'd be on like a show called Top of the Pops, which was for the top 40 best selling pop records of the week, you know. Um and then we had Moni Love and Moni Love came out of Battersea, South London and then, you know, not before long things blew up for her and she was off to the States. But that was again very, very in the early 90s. And then what happened was then UK hip hop took a kind of a slump, you know, where 
where a lot of the music that was coming out post 93, 94 just wasn't charting, it wasn't doing well. And, and so by the time I came in the game, you know, I, I first kind of stepped on the scene, the UK hip hop scene around late 95. At that time, we were kind of seen as like secondary, you know, to what was going on in the US. There wasn't a lot of us being played on the radio. Um, we couldn't get record deals, you know, we, we couldn't even get radio interviews that easily, mm. you know. Um, we we just we just had to struggle and thug our way through. So there wasn't really much at that time to say that was there to inspire us to look up to and to to really um say I wanna uh, you know, I wanna be like that person or I wanna do like this. It was all coming from America, you know. You're talking about ninety-five, that was the time when, you know, Biggie's first album was out. Nas had just dropped Illmatic the year right. before. Midnight Marauders was out two years prior to that. It was like it was just such a big you know, US hip hop was just such a big deal that that we we were just all inspired by them, you know. And even down to the way that I rhyme, like people say, yo, you sound more American than you do British, but that's how it was for UK rappers. We would emulate, you know, what was coming out of New York and what was coming out of, of the States. And so and it was only in maybe latter years that um the majority of artists then decided to to rap and rhyme and, and try to to do their thing with more of a UK, um, culturally UK um, influence, you know. So it was it was a difficult time to say, yeah, well, I was inspired by this um, UK rapper. And I mean, there were a few guys who were doing like there was a there was a group called Caveman, again, and they kind of rapped with more an American style, but they were they were good. But some of this stuff was kind of more swing beat as well. And then um, there was a group called the Demon Boys, and they had a couple of joints that were just crazy, like. But again, it was it, it wasn't like it was huge, you know. So most of the, the inspiration came from what was happening in the United States. Got it, got it. Wow. You know, I asked this question to a few of my recent guests, and I just have to ask it to you as well, because as I said earlier, your catalog is so vast, right? If you had to narrow this answer down, what would you say are your three most impactful mu music achievements thus far? Um, are you, do you mean in terms of releases? Yeah, releases. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's very difficult. You know, someone asked me on Instagram just yesterday, mm. which album did I enjoy recording or making the most? And I'm like, that's... It's almost an impossible question to answer because each album represents a very special journey, you know. Right. And, so, and let me just uh, let me just add on to that. Like what I mean specifically is like like I'm asking the question for people that might not know about your history. Like right. if they had to like timestamp like what is Funky DL known for in terms of his previous releases? Can you I guess, or even if it's not releases, it could just be like music contributions that um that if you had to highlight, because it's so vast, I can't have you do everything, but just like if you could narrow it down to like maybe three. Okay, so I'd, I'd say my first album entitled Classic Was The Day, which was released in 1997. That was, that was monumental because it was my entrance, you know, into the game as an artist with a full body of work. Right. And that album won me... Um, uh, a music of black origin award in the uk it was a, it was a new award ceremony called the mobile music of black origin and i won um best hip-hop um 
you know, Best Hip Hop Award in 1997 with that album. So um, I would say my first album, and plus my first album musically set the tone for who I was as an artist. You know, it's very heavily jazz influenced, um, a lot of sampling, a lot of filtering and breaks and just loops and, and throwing things together that, that just is like a beautiful mesh. So, that, so that's one. I would then say, I think, my album the fourth quarter which is a 2007 release because the fourth quarter was an album where um i decided to approach the album uh, it's 12 track album and, and and approach it with four different styles of hip-hop so we have uh, it starts off with uh, i think the soul quarter where it's most, mostly based on soulful sounds and then i think it goes into the authentic no the jazz quarter so it's, you know, three songs that are based around jazz. And then you've got the New Age Quarter, where it's kind of more spacey and airy. And then you've got the Authentic Quarter, where it's more raw and rugged. But I say that that album was really impactful because that was the first time I made an album where I felt like it was flawless when I made it, mm. you know. And also, I remember that album becoming like the number one hip-hop album on the iTunes chart that year in Japan. Um, and it, it just did really well, you know, people were, were really digging it. And so that would be the second one. And and then I can't, I can't leave out my 2000 and, uh, 2018 album, Denison Point. Yeah. Uh, because Denison Point, it, it was, it's an album by chance, but I think it's probably my favorite Funky DL album. Um, it's an album by chance because it just came about as a conversation I was having with somebody about what it was like for them to live, you know, living with their parents. And, and then in exchanging my um, experiences with them about what it was like living with my pups, as I was talking to them, I kind of felt like, how come I haven't documented all of this, maybe in, in a musical form? And so Denison Point is the name of a building that I lived in between 1992 and 2005. And that album documents, it's almost like a fly on the wall experience, what it was like living in that building and the things that were going on as I was in my teenage years and trying to pursue a career in music. So it's very, very personal, um, very, very fly on the wall. It's almost like an open book, a diary. And, and when I released it, people were just like masterpiece. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fans were just like that. There was something about that album that's just really, really amazing for them. So... For me, those are the three impactful moments. Classic was the day, 1997, the fourth quarter, 2007, and Denison Point, 2018. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that, man. And I know you have so much more, <laughs> you know, so I encourage, you know, people out there that's tuning in, viewing, listening, to go check out this brother's catalog. Um, I noticed that your band camp has projects going all the way back to 2008, it would that would you say that's like the bulk of your solo catalog, or is there like other places people can go to get your other like other music? Yeah, so I, for, on my band camp, the music only goes back to I think two thousand eight, two thousand seven, around there. I haven't put a lot of the earlier stuff on there, um, but the earlier stuff is available on iTunes and Apple and you know Spotify and all of that. Like if you go on Spotify, you're gonna see more or less everything. You know? Got it. Um, with the band camp, I just decided, you know, um, it's, everything is on there, but a lot of it is private, you know, um, and from time to time I might, um, you know, showcase something and 
haven't hired it. But I mean, there's so much. And so I've just chosen not to put everything on the band camp. But yeah, I mean, my music, it goes back. Because, you know, I did 21 albums, but I did about 35 to 40 instrumental albums, you know, on top. And then I've done like maybe a number of compilation albums. And then there's remix albums where I'm like re-rhyming stuff or remixing stuff with new beats. And so in, all in total, you might be approaching like 70 albums. You oh know? my goodness. Um, so wow. 70 album releases, you know, so it's a lot. Wow, man. You know, I was going to save this question for later, but just off the strength of that, like what has enabled you to be so consistent, you know, and, and like, con- like to have such volume is a to me is a huge achievement like what is what has kept you in that rhythm of continuously putting out and i would say quality music because i know what you're capable of and as as an artist i think it's a, it's a number of things like when i when i found when i found music was my calling like it was it was like understanding at that very young age that I had found my purpose and that there was nothing that was going to eclipse that purpose, you know, and then, and then deciding, you know, if, if you have a talent or some kind of, um, you know, kind of creative process that you can nurture, it, it wasn't just about saying, okay, I can rap or okay, I can figure out how to make beats. It's about saying, okay, I have a talent, but now I have to pair my talent with a, a, a devout amount of focus and a devout amount of commitment and a devout amount of attention. And, and so that was kind of my MO right at the beginning and it's never really gone away. And, you know, I, I say to people, because I meet a lot of artists who are trying to get in the game and trying to make it happen. And I know that life can get in the way and, you know, everybody has their traumas and everybody has their difficulties and it's very easy to look at people and say ah you're not doing enough and so on and so forth but at the same time i think one of the things that has kept me in good stead to be able to do what i've done is i've not allowed the things that get in the way in life to become a hindrance to my my pursuit of making music and and so whereas you know you can meet people who say well i I couldn't get it together because this happened or because I went through that. Um, I'm I'm the kind of character that says, I'm going to keep pursuing despite that, you know, because mm. we all go through things, you know, whether it's bereavement or whether it's a broken heart or not having any money or whether we're ill or whether, you know, we feel maybe abandoned by our friends, lonely, whatever it is, we all go through stuff. But my approach has always been that irrespective of whatever I go through, I'm going to keep making this music. Whereas I think for some other people, that's a very difficult thing. So when certain things happen, it, it kind of stops them in their tracks. So my ethos has, has been never to allow anything to stop my pursuit of creating and, and making music. And that's what's allowed me to come this far. You know, that's that's a really interesting point and i think it's really cool that you're able to push through despite certain circumstances but what would you say has been like the motivator beyond just you know that being in your mind like you know i feel like that's a easier said than done right like um situation like what do you attribute to your motivation you know that makes you 
like when these circumstances come, you still keep pushing forward and you don't get stuck? I think it's um for me the best the best thing I can say to try and pinpoint it or identify it is it's new music. You know, every time every time an artist makes music, or no, let me know, I can't speak for all artists, I can speak for me. Every time I make music, new music, there is it's like a new energy, you know, that, that you're getting ready to put into the world. And that new energy could unleash all types of results, positive results, things that you've never seen before. It can take you to places that you've never been before. It can cause you to meet people you've never met before. I mean, when I look at my career, the places that I've been, um, the people that I've met, the experiences that I've had, it's all come from creating music, you know, and there's been such a, a vast array of things, a spectrum of things that have been amazing that have happened. So every time you make new music, it's for me, the motivation is that anything can happen as a result of me releasing this into the world, you know, taking this this creative energy and, and presenting it to people um, and and to also be able to see what it does for other people as well as what it can do for me, you know. So when sometimes I get fans who send me messages and, and you read when I read the messages, like... It's in that moment that you realize that there's something much greater. There's something much greater that you're doing than you could ever perceive until that person tells you, you know? So I think for me, like, the motivation just comes from possibility. It's like, I'm going I'm to make this music and it's, a, it's, a, it's beautiful and it's, and, and, it's, and it's a new piece of energy, a new piece of creativity, and anything can happen because of it. And I think that's the motivation for me. It's almost just like a, um, you know, another shot, another shot taking over the world. You know what I mean? Wow, said so well. Like the motivation is like comes from possibility. That's deep, man. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about this new album, which I'm just so amazed by I, I i started a review channel on my other youtube channel out the box media uh some weeks ago about a month ago and i think your album might have been one of the first albums i decided to review and um i just it's just so amazing like when i heard it i was just like how did i not even know about this brother you know what i mean um so it's entitled beautiful soul can you tell us why you chose that title as well as the baby cover for the art? Yeah, so um, the title, the title Beautiful Soul is a, it's a, a two-pronged fork, you know. So Beautiful Soul represents um, the music, the influence of the music on the album, which it all stems from the kind of 1960s and 1970s era of kind of Motown, you know, and, and that was a time where a lot of beautiful soul music came out, you know, into the world. And, you know, you had artists like Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations and all of these groups that we know of and our parents listen to and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I, my mom and my dad had a lot of those records in their collection. So, you know, as I got older, I began to appreciate them more and it's just really some beautiful soul music. And so that's kind of one bowl um, of, of the, the title 
um, but then also um, lyrically, as I'm speaking on the album, there's a lot of it's very personal. The album, and and I'm I'm speaking to things of of just us as individuals and kind of who we are. And, and part of the message of the album is for us to not forget that we were born into this world as beautiful souls, you know, and the world can weigh us down with the societies that we live in and the socioeconomic system and, you know, cultures and trends and behaviors and all of these kind of assumed things, technology, and we can start to behave in a very number of ways and, and kind of which can, can kind of diminish a lot of the good things about who we are and so the album is almost a reminder that to uh, to people to to just remember that we came into this world as beautiful souls and and that isn't lost you know um and then as far as the artwork the artwork rep represents that you know a baby um coming into the world and also again on the flip side the artwork represents that whole 70s and 60s era with the afro and it's around the time i was born do you know what i'm saying and it kind of i wanted to have an album cover that almost looks like some of the album covers that you would get around that time do you know what i'm saying so i can imagine that cover belonging to an isaac hayes album or, do you know what i'm saying um so on and so forth and so everything kind of fit really really beautifully um, and came together well for um presenting this album nice nice dope is the baby on the cover actually you as a baby? Yeah, that, that baby's me. Yeah. That's me. Makes sense, but I just wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would use another baby. Right, right, right. <laughs> just just for clarity. But yeah, I got you. Definitely. So this album, Beautiful Soul, is a pre, is a produced so amazingly well. You also have some really good vocal features on this album. What would you say was the most complex part of making this project? I think the most complex part of making this project was the fact that there are no samples on the album. Everything is like from live instrumentation. I work with um, a bunch of musicians um, individually, actually. So they weren't actually, this was, because I was putting this album together around April of last year. So COVID had just, you know, reared his ugly head and we had a lockdown in the UK around March and so to get the band together to do this project was kind of near impossible but you know we, we were able to do I was able to do sessions with each musician one-on-one -on -one, you know um, and so the difficult I think the difficult part of it was just piecing it all together because I had dozens of takes of bass and dozens of takes of keys and dozens of takes of electric guitar and acoustic guitar and you know simps and all of this kind of stuff so um um it was just feel you know filtering through it all and and choosing some of the choice cuts i mean if you can imagine a bass player comes and, and you know the bass player has a guy named sean allen and um he may play he'll play through the track let's say four minutes long but he might do six takes yeah mm. and of those six takes the problem that you have is that he plays really well for most of the track. So you have these riffs that if you were to use absolutely all of them from all six takes, you end up with a track that's 12 minutes long. And so then you kind of have to narrow it down and you have to have find good cause to say, why would I not use that riff over this riff, you know? And why does this, because there's just so much of it to go through. But, you know, rather have too much than not enough, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the most challenging things. There's times when I'm listening to 
you know, maybe 12, 13 tracks of electric guitar. And I'm trying to choose elements to go in the song and, and try to keep it interesting and, and lay it. Sometimes there's tracks with like four, five, six guitars playing at the same time and it's layering them and mixing them. So it was just the sheer volume of audio that I had to deal with was really, really immense. And that I think was, the, was one of the most difficult aspects of the project. You know what's really interesting is is the fact that you said there were no samples on this, and I can definitely hear the live instrumentation, but it also feels like there's a sampling, you know, there's like sampling on the album, so tell me how you even got that feel, like the fact that you didn't sample, but you still kind of gave off sort of a, a soulful sampling feel with the well, instrumentation. Well, I think, I think that comes from the fact that as a producer, like I play keys a bit, I play bass a little bit, but not good enough to, you know, record something and put it out there. I'd have to edit and chop and tighten things up. But that's my, you know, that's my forte, that the fact that the drum machine or an MPC is what I've been working with over the last 25, 26 years, you know, probably longer. Um, so sampling is my thing. So, so the thing about with the musicians, Again, we're not sitting there and just, you know, okay, we need to get it right in one take. It's like, do as many takes as you need. Because mm. then I'm going to apply that philosophy of sampling where I'm taking this piece and I'm taking that piece and I'm going to piece things together and then we're going to start to put the puzzle together as if this was a, a record, you know what I mean? Um, and so that's, I think, where that element comes in is the fact that these people have played so much, but then I'm going in and I'm really, really honing in on elements and then piecing things together and so i think that my my experience and expertise over the years in that probably brings out that that flavor in some way yeah that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense and and as i'm thinking about it i have to say you know it takes a lot of patience you know to be able to just you know for you to tell them do as many takes as you want you that means you gotta listen through all of these takes like what uh what gets you to that mindset that says you know what that's the one i'm not gonna listen anymore like how do you decide with all of these takes i'm gonna move forward with you know your choices i think it's it's a it's a first of all i listen to everything sometimes people i work with artists and they watch me when i'm when i'm editing and and i'm very meticulous and and you know some artists have said i can't believe you go through all of that process just to to choose what you're doing or you know to edit a vocal i'm very very meticulous over everything but i understand that this kind of when it when you put it out it's out forever you know it's there it's going to be there beyond it's going to be there longer than i'm going to be here do you know what i'm saying so there's an importance to to make sure that you get it as right as you can get it you know but to answer your question directly like okay so how do you make that final choice it's really just about the air you know it's, it's really about just saying okay in this moment what sounds what sounds more pleasing to me or more desirable to me out of this 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 you know and so i'll go through and i'll audition things and you know this take that take this take that take and then maybe i'll narrow it down to okay them three the rest can go and then i'll you know go back and forth and go back and forth until i'm like that's the one and then sometimes it can even be like it depends on what else is happening because say for example the bass player is playing but if he's playing at a part where maybe let's say he's coming to the end of the verse 
it's like that a particular lick that he does or run can sound dope for an instrumental, but maybe there's another take that that at the end of the verse and the way that I need it to accent or be signature into the chorus, that this take works better for it. And so it's about not just listening to the sound on its own, but listening to all of the music together and to see what, it's almost like a language. It's almost like everything has got to speak a similar language, you know, I'll be talking the same language in a sense. And so are the music, are the instruments speaking to each other and connecting with each, with each other? And then if you have a number of choices, which one connects with everything else the best? And, and so that's kind of how I, I narrow it down. I hope that's not too convoluted. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, man. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to break it down. Like, I, I, I like those responses. Um, so let's talk about some of the tracks on the album. The yeah. first song, 100, featuring PFLE. Am I saying her name PFL. right? PFL. PFL, I'm sorry. Yeah, featuring PFL. Uh, really great opener track. Um, it just... I, I think her voice and also, you know, your raps on there really set the tone for what we're going to hear on the rest of the album, right? It's just mm -hmm. a really nice opener. But um, can you explain, like, exactly what you guys, what you know, what the subject is about on that particular track? And why did you choose to start the album with that song? So 100 is, is basically just a song where I'm kind of talking about how sometimes you have to leave people behind, you know, you have to kind of leave with love, but you have to leave people behind. You have to understand that, that the terrain on which you stand and the terrain on which maybe others stand is not the same. And that actually you may be hampering your own progress if, if you're not aware or cognitive of the fact that you may need to put some distance between yourself and others. You know, um, but but it but it doesn't come from a place of of resentment or a place of malice. It's more like in the track I say some things which are can seem a bit harsh, but it's it's about speaking your truth, mm -hmm. but but also you know not wishing any ill will on anyone but just knowing where you've got to get to and I guess the, the deeper message behind that song is we only get one life do you know what I mean and um you know I once I once said to someone you know if someone is if you're on a merry-go-round of foolishness you can't expect everybody else in the world to jump on that merry-go-round with you at some point people are going to get off right do you know what I mean and so that's kind of the the essence of, of the track um you know, and, and in the track, in the lyrics, when I talk about, you know, I think at the end of the verse, I say um, something like just moving forward with my two legs, but almost like a centipede, and that's 100. And it's like, you know, that for me was just an analogy saying that even though I have just two feet, it's almost as if I have 100. That's how I want to move, do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, so, um, and as far as it being the opener, I don't know. I think for me, I chose it as the opener because I, I just feel the energy of it and the way that the track started was just the most appropriate out of all of the songs on there, you know. Mm -hmm. the, the, the drum beat is quite hard-hitting. I mean, the track starts off quite soft and quite mellow with, with no drums and, and just the vocal and chords. And that song is based around um, Killing Me Softly. The chord structure is based around Killing Me Softly. Every song on Beautiful Soul is based around a, a famous 
song from the 60s and 70s and so that one is based on killing me softly um and yeah there was just something about the way that it sounded that to me it was like oh, this is it has to be the open so wow that's awesome man you know as you as you talk about you know the songs being based on older soul songs like is there any how you say is there any like liner notes out there or you know information that kind of details that like or just i just you know highlights that okay this was inspired by this is that no there isn't there isn't but there was when i did the listening parties for the album there was a visual presentation and the visual presentation um showed every song every original song interesting you know and they and they merged into you know my version of the song so it was kind of seamless you know we'd start out with killing me softly by roberta flack and it'd be in the same key and whatnot and then suddenly it would transcend into 100 and you know there would be some blurb about the original song and roberta flack winning a grammy and so on and so forth and i did that for every song throughout the album well that was just for the people that came to the listening party you know so that's that's those people were privy to to get in to see that whole presentation Got it. Got I'm, I'm going to send you a link because I still got it up on Vimeo. It's private. But I'll send you a link so you can check it out. All right. Dope. Dope. So you say on the track Litigant featuring Zantone Black or Zantone Black. Zantone. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm butchering the names. My yeah, apologies. No, Zantone Black. Uh, you say on that track, most of the population can't even rely on savings. They say the root of suffering is craving because humorism is enslaving the minds. Can you, and I mean, you say, you go on to say some other things, but um, can you explain what you mean by that particular line? So, I mean, you know, when I, when I think of, when I think of like a lot of the people that I know, and even I've looked up this statistically, you know, in the United Kingdom, probably the same in the, in the United States, like most of the population don't have that much money. You know, obviously there are loads of people who do have a lot of money, but like if you, if I was to say like, okay, could I think of, you know, how many people do I know? Let's say, let's just put it out there hypothetically. I know 500 people. Of those 500 people, how many of those 500 would have a thousand pounds in the bank? I think the number would be very small. Mm -hmm. I think the number would be very large of those who don't, you know. Um, and so... In the litigant, I'm kind of just speaking to that, how we, we kind of live in a world where, yeah, most people cannot rely on, if they, if they need a helping hand, they can't rely on having something stashed away. But how consumerism is such a huge part of many of our lives, you know, having the latest this and getting the latest that and being up on this trend and, and, and not, you know, missing out or, or being a have not, you know. So it's just, those lines are just more of, a reflection of the society that we that we live in i mean the litigant the whole reason i named it the litigant is because obviously a litigant is someone you know say in a court case they go up against each other and argue it out and there's there's almost like a tussle between both sides and so that line philosophically kind of represents that you know there's like people with no money but but want to consume and so that's a tussle that's a struggle and so um so yeah, that's that's kind of the essence of that song. The litigant is it's it's feeling like you live in a world where you're stronger, 
sorry, you live in a world where you are constantly having to tussle with so many things. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what the essence of that song is about. You know, I mean, even even in the first verse of that song, I talk about being born. You know, um, being born and it's supposed to be this beautiful moment. You know, but then slowly, as as you get older, you become aware of all of these kind of excuse me, you become aware of all of these kind of um, difficulties in life and these adversities. And, and the album speaks to that. It speaks to how when we're born, we're born of, of no obligation to anyone or anything. When the moment you were born, who did you owe what? You know, what did you have to do? And the answer is nothing. But suddenly, you know, when you, you get to the age of three, four, five, and it's like, well, you have to go to kindergarten and you have to, you have to, you have to be quiet. You have to, you know, and then you get older and you're older. And now in our adulthood, if someone says, well, what are the things you have to do? It's an endless list, you know? So, um, endless list. <laughs> such a long list, right? <laughs> so, so that again, it's, a, it's that tussle. It's, it's about that contrast of how, how did I come into a world free of obligation to anyone and anything, but the same me now is full of obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what that, that song um, the litigant is all about. Thank you for uh, breaking that down. And I, I'm glad that you did that because I actually thought you said cause humorism, but you actually said consumerism. So That's I'm glad right. you broke that down because I, I must, I missed the pronunciation there. So thank you for that. Um, so your beats are often amazingly rich and soulful, but your rhymes are also very people relatable and thought provoking. Uh, what motivates you to make your rhyme so meaningful and, and of substance? I think as a writer, it's just at this point, it's about life experience. You know, Vistis said to me not long ago, she's like, dear, if I listen to your earlier stuff, it's so playful, you know, but now when I listen to you, it's kind of serious, you know, but it's, it's, it's what happens. I think it's a natural, it's a natural transition for artists, you know, uh, to, 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 to maybe take it maybe to a more philosophical place or a more serious place. I mean, if we look at someone like Dave Chappelle, you know, there was a time when we would watch Dave Chappelle tell jokes and, and what we found extremely hilarious with Dave Chappelle was when he'd say, you know, sprinkle some crack on him and get the hell out of here, you know. But now when you look at Dave Chappelle tell jokes, there is so much more meaning or so much more of a message behind it. And so he keeps his humor and he still has his wit and he still has his, his talent and he still is very sharp, but there's something a bit deeper going on, now, mm-hmm. you know, and whether you agree with it or not, it's, it's the journey that he has taken as an artist to no longer do it that way, but to do it this way. And it's much the same as a rapper. I mean, you look at Nas as well, you know, when you listen to Illmatic, it's this kind of storytelling of what's going on in the hood. And then by the time we get to life is good, it, it's talking about divorce and it's talking about, you know, maybe not being there for your daughter um, in the way that you feel you should have. But those are things that were difficult to talk about when you were a teenager, you know? And so, so that's, so on, on Beautiful Soul, the things that I speak of are just a reflection of where I'm at this stage in my life, you know, and, and it's, it's not as easy to talk about things of maybe youth or, or be as playful when 
you've kind of seen so much and witnessed so much and, and observed so much and, and want to speak on so much. What came first? Was it emceeing or producing? And which one do you prefer? Um, so emceeing came first, but there wasn't much in it, you know, um, in terms of time. So the first that I ever knew that I had an ability to, to write rhymes, I was nine years old and it was Halloween, I believe. And I wrote, I wrote a poem about the witch and it just all rhymed. And I remember my teacher, I remember his name, Mr. Griffiths, Mr. Griffiths read this poem and he was so impressed that he, there was this, um, this goodie bag that they, that we had in this class. Like when someone did really well, you could dip in, you know, with your eyes closed, you dip in this goodie bag and you pull out a prize. And I dipped in, I pulled out, and it was a pair of boxing gloves, you know, and, um, and then, but also he, you know, he took me out of the school for lunch, like as a special treat for, for just doing so well. And it, and it, it was just really, really poignant that, you know, just remembering that, I, I had written something just from the inside of my mind at nine years old that an adult was so impressed with that they singled me out and, and rewarded me for it. And, um, and so by the time that I got to 11, I mean, I tinkered about with rhymes and whatnot, but at a time like, you know, 89, 90, then I said those Daylight albums were coming out, I was starting to write my own stuff as well as recite their stuff. But it wasn't long after, maybe I started writing raps at like 11, 12, but by the time I was maybe nearly 13. I was up in the music department at school messing around on the Casio keyboards and they had a, a, a sequencing program called Pro 24 or something like that. So the, so, the, so the teachers were teaching me how to sequence with MIDI, you know, and I'm like 12 going on 13. So so the, the rapping came first, but it was a very, very small gap in between the pursuit of both, you know. And in terms of my preference, I think now I prefer, I think I, I prefer production much more um, now. But there are times where it's really hard to call it. But I think production just, I think, allows me to explore more. Because um, in that way, like, I work with other artists and then I can do different genres. And, you know, Neon, the album you referred to earlier this year, is a house music album, a soulful house music album. So, um, so production, I think, allows me to be uh, more than one-dimensional, whereas as, a, as an MC, I feel like it's a bit more narrowed in as, as far as what I can do, you know? Got it, got it. You know, as you, you told a story about your teacher learning about you, you know, writing poetry or writing a rhyme, it made me think of how impactful teachers can be, right? And you know, that probably gave you a sense of, I don't know if the word is purpose, but just a sense of motivation to say, you know what, I can actually become a great poet, you know, just that concept, you know. Um, so I, I think it's dope that you highlighted that, uh, you know, in, in regards to how your teacher recognized that, because I feel like it might have impacted you in that way where you like, it just gave you that motivation to say, yeah, I can do this, you know? So, yeah. Well, actually what's interesting is, is you are correct, but, but more so with another teacher than the mm. teacher I mentioned. Wow. Okay. 
So that teacher, I was still in, you know, nine years old, I was still in what we call primary school out here. Is when I got to secondary school, equivalent of high school, that I was in an English class and we had to do comprehension. You know, you read a piece in a book and then you have to write about what you read. And so because I had already started writing rhymes from, you know, a few years earlier, when I got to secondary school, I remember being in my English class and I'd read this piece in a book and then we had to write about it. And I asked my English teacher, can I write my answers in a rhyme form? And she said, yes. And um, so I did that. And then when it came to having to read out to the rest of the class what we had written, I actually asked if I could perform it. And so a bunch of kids were beating on the table and, and you know, and I, and I did this rap of my work. Mm. And, um, and, the, and the teacher, her name is Miss Stoker. Miss Stoker was my form tutor and my English teacher. And she was so impressed that she took me up to the music department to introduce me to the music teachers and kind of was just like, um, he's one to watch, you know, this is, this is, we have something here and let's um, try and nurture him. And, and, but I think what's really, really important from that story is, is that the fact that the teacher embraced, you know, my, my choice of expression, because the teacher could have just been like, no, do it in the way that I've asked you to do it. And, that's the end of that. And that could have shut down the dream, you know. Um, but the teacher was open to say, hey, you know, you've done the work, express it in the way that you've chosen. And so that for me was probably far more impactful than the previous story that I had told mm. you. Wow. Definitely. But still teacher, right? Still having that impact. Well, an adult just seeing that um, value and, and that potential in you. So... Yeah. The song And I Write Rhymes features uh, fellow MC Vsties. You also produced the Honey Pack and the Lilac EP for for Vsties um, this year. What uh what makes Vsties' music special to you? I think Vsties I think it's just it's just a natural chemistry with her and I and what we do. I mean, we met online in September of 2020. So um, she just reached out to me and, and um, sent, I think she posted a video on Twitter of her rapping over one of my beats and I happened to see it, not knowing that she had reached out to me on Instagram maybe a couple months before and I just never saw the message. But when I saw that video, there was just something about her style and about her cadence and about her energy that I was just like, yo, this kid is cool. And so we... we we kicked it on, a, I think, on a Zoom meeting, um, and we agreed that we just tried to do something together. And what we quickly found is that Vsties and I work really well because I can just send her remnants of an idea, and then she can just send me a remnants of her idea vocally, and then it just starts to build naturally. Mm. So, so both of the projects that we did, the Lilac Pack and, and the Honey Pack, were formed that way. It was like, oh, here's a skeleton of a beat. And then it's like, oh, here's an idea for a rhyme. You know, here's a hook. And, and it's like, okay, but why don't you do this? And then why don't, and indeed, could you do that? And there was just something really natural about the way we put what we do together to come up with these amazing songs. And so I think what's really special about these things is just she has an easygoing energy to get the job done, mm. you know. Um, we've recorded eight songs 
together and released both uh, both projects. She has over six hundred thousand streams, and we met just over a year ago. Wow, it's it's, um, it's an amazing story. Nice. So nice. yeah, I think I think there's a lot of things special about these things. Dope, dope. So you also produced the EP we met in Tokyo with uh, MC Substantial, who I've been following for for some years now. I've had him on the platform at least twice within the mm-hmm. last two years. Um, so you released We Met in Tokyo in August of this year. Uh, how did you guys make the decision to record this project together? So the way that that came about was, um, I think I just hit Substantial up on WhatsApp and I, and I just said to him, bro, because you know, we, we've worked together, but we've never really done a project together. Mm. We've kind of just featured on, on the same tracks. And I think he's jumped on my album or we've both been on the track by another producer. So I just hit him up and I just said, bro, I know like you're busy and um, I'm busy too, but we should do something. So do you have any acapellas floating around? You know, and I could just see if I could come up with some music and maybe just do some mixes. And that way you can still, you know, you don't have to write anything, you don't have to record anything, but maybe we can get something done and and get something out. And so he was like, sure. (laughs) He just sent me, fired me over like a bunch of acapellas. And uh, and then I just started crafting beats. to those acapellas, which is, you know, it's, it was a challenge, but that's that's the way I do it. I don't never ever say, all right, I got this beat already sitting here, let me just time it. And I'm just like, nah, like you send me an acapella, let me listen to it. And then let me, let me start to piece together something based on what I'm hearing. And so that's how those four songs came about. And so they're almost like remixes or reinventions of songs that he had already or songs that maybe, I think a couple of them had only been released on his Patreon, um, different versions of them, but had maybe never been commercially released. And so the versions that I did, um, plus you know the couple of remixes of the ones that had been released, all fit together to make this four-track EP, which came out, as you said, in August of this year. So that's kind of how that came together. It was just, it was just me reaching out to say, let's do something, man. Let's, let's make it happen. Mm. Dope, dope. You, you as well as Substantial were certainly collaborators with the late, great Japanese producer, Nujibes. For those that may not know who Nujibes was, can you talk a bit about who he was and the legacy he left on music from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, Nujibes, you know, Nujibes was a, a music enthusiast. Um, he, he loved music. He loved all kinds of music. You know, jazz music, rap music, funk music, um, and he also was a record store owner. You know, when I met him, he owned a record store called Guinness Records in Shibuya, Tokyo. And um, at that time, when I met him, he was just kind of coming into production and kind of finding his way as a producer. Um, but he was really interested in working with me, and. Um, and as well as substantial and a bunch of other guys, but he was interested in working with me because I had built up a little bit of a reputation in Japan releasing like this jazzy hip hop. Um, but what was really interesting was getting to learn about who he was in that process of working with him to see that he was someone who was interested in playing instruments. So he used to practice the saxophone almost every day, you know, um, and and then also, you know he knew so much about studio engineering it was like so okay so he's making beats but also he's engineering sessions and he's trying to play instruments and and um and trying to contextualize music more than just 
making a beat. You know, he's really trying to get get into the, into the music. He he came to London once and he he spent time kind of just digging through my record collection and just looking at a lot of the sounds that I had and 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 how the inspiration that I had for sampling and and, and just sharing ideas. And so um, eventually he grew. You know, through a set of releases that he did with me and, and a number of other artists, he just his name and his work just grew and grew and grew. And his style also changed as well. I mean. Initially, it was a lot of sampling, and some stuff was quite choppy and fast-paced, and and then it, it eventually kind of metamorphosed into a kind of um, more mellow and, and downbeat, laid back, and then you know live instruments and not so many samples in in some cases, or or where samples were there but were embellished with live instruments, and so there was a transition in his work over a period of time and then he became just this notable guy for making really really um lamentful and quite um emotive um music you know and, and sadly passed away in 2010 but um prior to and since has become the legend that is musicless yeah thank you for for sharing that. So my favorite song on the album is Thankful for Everything. It is such an emotional but yet highly uplifting song. You do an amazing job with the lyrics of gratitude that you express on the song. But I think Cicero's singing on the hook also really helps that song to shine so beautifully, right? What was her process in how she was able to craft such beautiful vocals for that song? So whenever I have, I work with featured artists in the past, when I work with featured artists, I'd be very clear about um, what it is I want for a track, you know? Um, so sometimes a vocalist may come in and I'll, um, vocalist may come in and I'll say, look, this is what I need you to do. Um, but it got, I got to a space where I was like, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. I want vocalists and, and artists that I, that I work with to be able to come in and to listen to what I've done. And then for them to say, this is what expression I feel I have for this work. So that's what I did. I invited Cicero in and, and um, she listened you know, to the songs, um, to the, that song, sorry, in particular. And then, um, but also, I don't leave them alone. I don't. I don't. I'm not like yo. You just figure it out and then mm -hmm. let me know what you've got. So I will start humming around, and she start humming around. And we start exchanging words and whatnot, and it's a mutual and, and a cooperative effort. And I think together we came up with that hook, you know, um, and then and then just kind of figured out how was maybe the best way to express it. Um, because it's like a double hook, you know, on the Beautiful Soul album, there's quite, I think, a few tracks that there's, the hooks are more um, reflective of like 16 bars than, mm -hmm. say, a, a standard eight-bar hook. Yeah. So it's like, okay, it's going to go around again, and how are we going to do it different this time? And we kind of work it out, and, you know, it isn't just like switch the mic on and then we'll see what comes. It's kind right. of like, this is what we're going to do. And so it's a mutual and cooperative effort. And so we both kind of... Um, put our input in and, and, and came up with something that was really, really done well by, by her, her, her talents. And, 
And also, one of the things that we said in doing that is let's not try and do something that's over complex or too complicated. We're not trying to, we're not trying to make a piece of music that other songwriters can say, oh, wow, how did they do that? This is just to move the average listener. It doesn't have to be something that has a wow factor in terms of its complexity. You know, sometimes simple is best. And so so that's kind of the, the journey for how we um, put together Thankful for Everything. And that song is based on a whole Stevie Wonder joint um, called mm-hmm. Thank You Love, you know. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, in terms of soulfulness, whoa, that song, it has it all. Yeah, man, it... it- you you definitely like she from the time that the track opens the first she, i want to <laughs> give my gratitude like the way she just you know what i'm saying she just yeah. comes in on the or on the on the on the you know just from the opening of the track you know uh it's so good man i want to show my gratitude no really i because when i put my all into everything i am and it, you know what i'm saying i'm getting my shower singing on <laughs> now nah, but it sounds so good like and it's it's i have to say man the tracks is a bit emotional too man like um i feel like it speaks to maybe you know, someone going through a challenge, but still taking time to be grateful for the good that they have. That's yeah. kind of the vibe I get from it with the singing and with your rhymes on the track. Yeah, I mean, that's the essence of the song. I mean, in, in the lyrics, as far as what I'm talking about, I'm talking about like it, it could have been so many things for me. It could have been a lot better. You know, in my journey as a musician and my just journey through life, and I say that, you know, I could have had a, a platinum record or maybe gold. You know, uh, I never had those things. But then I also say it could have been a lot worse. I could have been not been able to have a flow. You know, I could have, I could have um, put music out and nobody took to it at all. Like it could have been so many things, but for what it is, I am thankful. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's just the message of the record. Like, you know, I don't know who gets to be born and live and pass and every single thing that you desired, you got. And every single thing that you didn't desire kept itself away from you. Like, I don't, none of us get that, do you know what I mean? And so for me, it's just like, your life is gonna be in a lot of respects, it's just gonna be, it's gonna have these arbitrary things that, that may not be in alignment with who you are or what you want, but there's still things to be thankful for, you know? And I, and I kind of feel like, no, you know, no matter what, if everything is falling apart or if everything is coming together or a bit of a mixture of both, if you're still here, then thank God for that, you know? <laughs> so um, so that's kind of the essence of that, of that record. Yeah, definitely. So I have to say, this album put me on to some really good vocalist and 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 while we're on that track i you know it like hearing cicero this is my first time hearing her it just intrigues me to want to know more about her like so what else should we know about cicero in terms of her music contribution that you would like to share to be honest with you i'm not really sure about what what cicero's 
path is in terms of her career because like, when she comes in, she might tell me like, okay, she's working on X, Y, and Z. Um, but sometimes a lot of the projects are things that she's working on in, in their very early stages. You right. know, it's kind of like genesis, but even, so. even like earlier projects that she's done that, you know, for, for someone like myself, I definitely want to go see what else she's done, right? Or, or maybe other people listening. Like what, I what think other... I think Cicero only has, only has like one single. It's like a dance music thing. One oh, or two really? singles. Okay, so she she's doesn't she died. doesn't have like a plethora of material. I mean, she's featured on a number of my joints. So she's on my Denison Point album on a joint called called um, Thank You All the Same, and then she's also on my album Black Current Jazz Three on a joint called Kane, and then she's on my Twenty album. I got an album called Twenty that came out last year. She's on a joint called Free, you know. So you know, you could check her out there. But I think if you go to like her Spotify, she probably has like one or two tra tracks or maybe something that she just appears on. Got but it. there isn't like a, a body of work as such um, that I'm aware of, you know. I know that she's trying to get some stuff together. And, yeah. But this is, you know, what I spoke of earlier, like for some of us as, as artists, it's difficult because some of us got regular jobs. And so yeah, on yeah, so absolutely, forth. yeah. You know, they're at the, the beginning of their careers, they're trying to get it together. Yeah. It's funny because Cicero went to university with me. She was in the, I was studying law, she was studying law, but she was in the year below me. And, um, but I had no idea that she sung until after I left. You know, she knew that I did music and she knew that, I, you know, that I rapped and all of that, but she just never said anything. And then when I left, I think I saw her, you know, we followed each other on Instagram and then I saw post that she put up saying check out my music on soundcloud and then when i hit the link i'm like but hold on how comes i went to uni with you for so long and i just never knew like because the voice was amazing absolutely amazing yeah so that's would, how we connected i would love to see a project between you and her like even if it's just an ep you know uh because this just off the strength of this song like it's such a good record that I'm like, man, I, I want to hear more, you know? And I know you've done earlier records with her, so I'm going to definitely go check that out. But I feel like there's something special um, with you and her in terms of making music together, just off the strength of this song. I, I know it's just one song, but, like, I, I feel it. You know, um, yeah. I was going to say, you know, interestingly, Beautiful Soul, originally, the idea was to do the whole album with one vocalist. Wow. That was the idea, um, but the vocalist, excuse me, the vocalist that I had um, thought of getting was someone who I had never worked with and it just didn't really come together. Ah, okay. Um, so then what I did was I said, okay, um, actually, let me do this album with a, with a bunch of vocalists, but I'm actually glad that I did it the way that I did it because- Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, because I was thinking that maybe if I had did it one with one vocalist, maybe the album may have been good, but it might have sounded too one-dimensional. Right, right. You, know? you can hear the range uh, in the different vocalists. Sounds. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so as you know, the features, you know, Zantony and Steve Mowgli and and Beasties and Cicero and, and Leanne hopped on and PFL. It was like, no, nah, this is the way that it should have been, and I'm glad that it came this way because it's just much more of a rainbow of an affair of what's yeah. going on across the record, you know, so, but yeah, originally it, it could have been, you know, just one vocalist. Nice, nice. So, uh, the hooks on all of these songs are crafted so well in general. Can you walk me through, and I know you kind of alluded to this earlier, but if you could uh, share, like, 
your checklist of things that you feel are necessary in order for the singer to create a good sounding hook? What would that be? If you had a checklist of what you implement? I think it's difficult. It's a difficult question. I think fundamentally, this is a piece of advice I always I always say to to vocals. Like when you record when you record vocals, there's two things that you're trying to achieve fundamentally. The first is a great or a high standard, high quality recording. The second is a high standard, high quality performance. And those are not the same thing, you know. So when I say high standard recording, it that's talking about some of it is my job as an engineer, so it's signal to noise ratio and making sure that the levels are right and things are not distorting. But also some of it is the responsibility of the artist in terms of the distance that they stand and not hogging the pop shield and so on and so forth. You know, that's what helps. All of those dynamics help to, to get a great recording. Now, away from that, and sorry, things like not wearing jewelry that shakes around, you know what I mean? Okay, so now is the great performance. Because of course you can have a great sounding recording with a terrible performance, or you can have a great sounding performance as a terrible recording, you know? Um, so now it's about the performance. And I think in terms of a checklist, I mean, it, it really is just about the artist feeling comfortable and at home, being able to hit, if it's a vocalist, being able to, you know, hit the keys, hit the notes and, and to find the, 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 the rhythmic and, and um, the pockets of, of the track and to just have a flair, you know, have some kind of a natural flair to what they're doing. I mean, again, when I record with vocalists, we might try something a range of ways. Mm. And then what it might be is you say, we're going to use a mixture of that recording and then that recording because when you sign up to that point, it was perfect. And then on this other take, when you sign from that point, that's perfect. So it's about... I think when you say a checklist, one of the greatest things that a, a, a vocalist or a featured artist needs to be is versatile and versatile enough to be able to provide a range of ideas mm. because then that's maybe the greater chance that you're going to get not only what you want, but maybe something that surprises you that is beyond what you want, you know? Yeah, that's dope. Well said, man. You know, and when I think about some of the melodies that come across you said this earlier, like, it's not just hooks. Like, there's there's layers, right? There's kind of, like, double hooks or, like, you know, the song will start off and you hear, like, some humming or some type of singing in the beginning and then you hear it at the in the middle and then you hear even a change-up in singing later on. Like, that is uh, uh, something that I, you know, I'm as an MC, like, I don't really have experience knowing, you know, how to you know, bring a vocalist in, you know, at least yet, you know. Um, but it's it's very, very, I'm very curious about it, you know, is why I asked the question, like, you know, what what are things that you look for? You know, do yeah. you, do the artists, does the vocalist ever get inspired by, um, like, other records, like other artists, like maybe play, like, other soul records from other singers and, and listen to the melodies of those singers to use that as inspiration for, how are they going to approach the track on their hooks? Um, surprisingly enough, not so much on this project. I remember working with um, Steve Mowgli, actually, on mm. The Covenant. And when we were working on the song, I was playing her 
the original because that's based on Aretha Say a Little, I Say a Little Prayer. And I was playing Steve, the original, but she was like, no, 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 D, I, I, I don't want to hear it because it's going to stick in my head. You know, right, it's going right. to stick in my head. So just like play the beat round and, and let me just get into my own pocket, you know. So sometimes it depends on, on the artist. In, in the case of Beautiful Soul, most artists didn't really use the originals or any other tracks as a reference. They kind of just, they just said, let me work with what I got in front of me. Um, and obviously I was there as well to kind of show them my um, artistic vision, not in, not, in the, not in the sense of a dictatorship where you have to do this, but it's like, this is what I'm trying to create. You right. know? Um, so yeah, in that, in that sense, nah, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot as reference points, but in, in maybe in other projects or in other sessions I have with some of those guys like Steve Mogley will go through um, stuff on Spotify, stuff that she's into, stuff that she likes melodically, harmonically, um, in terms of vocals and so on. You know, she plays me stuff, a range of stuff from Anderson Pack to Tyler, the creator, to, you know, even creates playlists for me, for me to just kind of see where her head's at in terms of where she wants to go on, on some, some songs and so on and so forth. So it does happen, but not so much on the beautiful song project. Yeah, definitely. No doubt. I got it. So, um, I know I'm stuck on this question about the vocalists and the only reason why I'm there is because I feel like they really helped to bring this album out, right? You know, the instrument, the live instrumentation, definitely, your lyrics, definitely, but like the vocalists just, to me, take it on a higher level. And so yeah. I, I know I mentioned Cicero earlier and we talked about um, VCs, but I do want to mention the other contributors like PFL, Leanne, Zentine Black, um, you know, who each appear a couple times on the album offering singing contributions, as well as Steve Mowgli, who appears at least once. So can you give some uh, brief, I know, as brief as you can, some brief insight on how you connected with each of these vocalists and why you felt they fit the sound for this album. Okay, so there's five different artists. I'll try and do this brief. Xantone yeah. um, is a dear friend of mine and is such a talented um, uh, musician. He played a lot of keys on the album and he also sings as well. And I thought at the point when I thought about, you know, using multi-artists, I thought, don't just go with a female sound, you know, um, use a male vocalist and so he appears on the litigan and also on my love um on the album and and i just hit him up and said look i've got these vibes these flavors this is the kind of sound that i've, I've created um obviously he would know because he worked on on those songs anyway but for those specific two i said to him this this is the sound that i have in terms of an idea for a male vocal what do you think and he just knocked it out of the park you know mm. he just did his thing um, then it's PFL. PFL I met through VSTs. So VSTs and PFL were friends. I met VSTs and then um, met PFL. And I, I, when I heard her sing for the first time, I think it was on an Instagram story or something, I was just like, no way. There's no way. Um, so I, I, I immediately approached her. to. Uh, she was the first artist I approached to appear on the album. Mm. Um, and um, she, she, yeah, she did 100 and, and the other joint, um, Always Be Free. Um, and again, her voice, it was just perfect. It was so angelic and whatnot. And then, so then there was um, Steve Mowgli, who I met some years ago on Instagram, who has an amazing and powerful voice, really powerful voice. So I knew I wanted her on the project, but she came at the latter stage. I wasn't kind of sure where I 
I would want to fit her in. And I'm so glad that it is on the covenant because I think what she did on the covenant was absolutely perfect. That was the place that she needed to be on the album. And then Leanne is an old dear friend of mine and a long time collaborator. I've actually produced an album for Leanne, um, which came out um, maybe around 2009, 2008, called Imagine Me. And um, she's just a really, really dear friend of mine. And, and you know, this, there's a raspiness to her voice and something quite emotive that I think would bring the album home, especially on the track called Home. So, uh, I, you know, I left that for Leanne and, and I think she's, she really served that track really well. And so, um, you know, we talked before about Cicero and about Beastie. So that's kind of the background of everyone in a sense. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that, man. And you, and you did it. You did it. It was brief. <laughs> so thank you. Um, what would you say... Actually, let me go to this next question. On the song, getting back to the music, on the song Me, you say you didn't wait for no one to invest in you. And every single move you made was necessity, was a necessity to take your time to try to execute successfully. When did you realize that investing in yourself and being self-sufficient was actually paying off towards your success? The, to answer that question is, is, okay, so when did I realize? I would say that the, the strongest realization came in 1998. Mm. Uh, I say that because I was signed you know, to a label and for my first album was signed to quite a big record label, I had a big publishing deal. That all fell apart within months of signing the deal. And then I got scooped up by um, the A&R man who signed me at that label, went off and started his own label. And then I was signed to that label for a couple of years and nothing was happening. Like we putting out these records, I wasn't seeing royalty statements, I wasn't seeing anything, any money. I didn't know what was going on and the company folded. And so by the time we got to late 98, 99, I had made a decision that I had tried it with a big label and a big publisher. I tried it with a small label and it hadn't worked. And so if I still want to continue down this road of pursuing a, a, a career in music, it's going to have to be me. Because, I mean, how often can I knock on the door of a label when they open it up and say, let's go, you know? So by early 99, I started pressing my own records, pressing my own vinyl, and that's the point where I realized like it has to be me. Mm. But but saying that, I was investing in myself way before that. But to really answer your question, to pinpoint the question, because you said when did I realize that that's what it had to be? That was like early 99. Nice, nice. Nice, nice, man. Wow. I mean, it, it it's it's one thing to realize it, right? But it's also another thing to see the fruits of the labor, right? When you, when you invest in yourself, man. So I'm glad that, um, it's turned out successful for you. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I speak to artists a lot about ownership of, because I own all my music, you know, I own all the catalog. I don't, I haven't signed any, anything away to anybody, you know? So obviously other than the distribution split that the aggregators get for putting it up on the platforms, mm-hmm. all of that revenue comes directly back to myself. And, you know, I mean, yeah, people, plenty of people have got deals, major artists have got deals and making all, you know, bags of money. But I think as an independent artist, um, you know, I try and teach people that there's, 
that music is equity, you know, something that me and Substantial talk about a lot, that your music is equity, it has an equitable value, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the thing is, I think artists don't, independent artists, I think, don't think about it in the context of its equitable value in its entirety. So you can go on, you can go on um, Spotify right now and you can search up Billie Holiday or Louis Armstrong Elvis Presley, one of these guys. And I know that they're big artists. But when you go and look at Billie Holiday, it's like 3.4 million monthly listeners, you know. It's like, so then where's all of that revenue, bro? You know, all of those millions and millions. Because Billie Holiday was out a long time ago. You know what I mean? A real long time ago. So where does all of that revenue go? And, and so, so now what you're saying is really is that there's probably been more money made off Billie Holiday's music since she's been gone mm. than when she was here. That's how much value is in that music, you know? And it will get to that point if it isn't there already for people like Michael Jackson and Amy Winehouse and James Brown. It will get to a point where more money has been generated since they've been gone than when they were here, you know, because that music will live in perpetuity. And so that's how valuable, and that's the, the equitable value of ownership. And I think independent artists need to realize that and then it's just about finding a way to unlock the equity, you know, which is more of a difficult part, but not impossible, you know. So, yeah, I think for me, um, just being an independent artist and realising, you know, doing things for yourself and, and realising the value and the success that can come from being at the helm of your ship was something that I cottoned on to very quickly and... Um, and, and remained quite imperative and paramount in the forefront of my journey. You know? Sure. What would you say, and, and maybe that is it, right? Maybe it is music equity, but if there's anything else, what would you say is the biggest benefit you say you've gained from investing in yourself rather than having someone else invest in you? I think it's freedom. It's a level of freedom, freedom of time. Like, because I've invested in myself and... You know, I'm, I'm, as like I said, I'm at the helm of my own ship. When I wake up in the morning, I don't owe my time to anybody. Mm. You know, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful feeling to, to wake up every day and say, I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to check in with someone. I don't have to wake up sooner than my body wants to wake up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's freedom, you know, and I'm fortunate. You know, I don't say it disparagingly to, to the people that do have to wake up with an alarm clock and do have to check in for a job and all of that. It's life, you know. But I think that that investment in myself, I didn't know it was going to be this. So that investment in myself was just something that I saw was going to bring some kind of a worthwhile prize, not knowing what that prize would be. But years later, in realizing what that prize is, it's the freedom. It's that level of freedom. You know, because because then at that point it's like it's an age-old argument. Like, what's more valuable, time and money? Money's something that circulates and can come back, but time doesn't come back. You know, so to have a certain level of freedom of my time and what what I do with it, and and me being at the helm of what I can, why I obligate my time to, if at all, I think is probably one of the most beautiful prizes I got from. Well said, well said. So, um, the song Always Be Free might 
be my second favorite track on this on this album. It features PFL or as the vocalist on the track. Your rhyming uh, on that track sounds like really liberating. You say at the beginning of the song, you don't want to be a slave to a system that cares more about your money than about your wisdom. What in, what inspired those opening words on that song? I think it's just throughout my lifetime, I've seen that human beings have been and still are a commodity to other human beings of what they can get. You know, how can I, how can I profit from you? You know, the music business is built on that. How can I profit from you? You know, we live in a world where people are more interested in what they can take from you than what they can give to you. You know, that's just how it is, you know. Um, we don't need to go into the realms of capitalism and consumerism and so on and so forth. It's just how it is. And so what, what I'm saying in that line is like, you know, I, I don't want to be a slave to a system that cares more about what's in my pocket than what's in my heart or than mm. what's in my mind, you know? Um, but it seems that what's in my pocket has far more value to that system than what's in my heart or what's in my mind. And I don't want to be a slave to that, mm -hmm. you know? So it's um, just a recognition of self-awareness to, to the world that we live in and not, and not getting um, too caught up in identifying with what the system thinks is of value as opposed to what I know is a mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, and just in general, that, that record, just like PFL's contribution, the sound of it, it just sounds so good, man. It's, it's, it's not one of those ballad-type sounding records, but it feels good. You know, it just has a nice... And I think it fits really well as the, the second-to-last track of the album, you know. Can you talk a little bit about the sequencing and, and how you were able to place certain songs where to give this cohesive feel to the music? Yeah, with, with that song, Always Be Free, I, I always knew <clears throat> that it was going to be at the back end of the album because it just sounds like a closing song. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a closing song. It sounds like Food for Thought, you know, we've got some of the more enjoyable, groovy, you know, thank, thankful for everything is more groovy. You can kind of bop to that, you know. Um, so I knew it would be at the back end of the album. And if I had not made Home, that might have been the final track. But Home. Yeah, it sounds like it me, could have been the final track as well. Yeah, yeah it could have been yeah, either one. But, but Home was the closer, uh, more so because of the message and the mood of what of the, what the music was playing. So so I made um, Always Be Free to Promote on the track. And. Um, yeah, just throughout the album, it was like, you know, in terms of the track the track order, it was kind of like, okay, I want to start off with something quite powerful, which I think 100 does that. And then, you know, the litigant is still kind of upbeat, groovy, soulful, up-tempo, um, you know, quite a strong message. And I write rhymes comes along next. And that's kind of, again, it's kind of, you know, it's got a nice vibe to it. It's like a hip-hop you know, funky. Yeah. Hip-hop feel, yeah, yeah, like a more boom-bap hip-hop yeah. feel to it. And then we get to um, Thankful for Everything, which takes it up a notch in terms of speed and tempo, you know, and then we kind of drop back down with me, 
And then by the time we get to the covenant, it kind of takes a new twist in terms of like, because the covenant's kind of an unorthodox time signature and it's almost like a double time song. And then we get to, you know, My Love, which is almost like the ballad, the love song of the album. And, and then, um, you know, then it kind of jumps up again with, um, uh, with everybody, you know. And so it's kind of like this kind of more like a roller coaster journey in some senses. But it just that that sequencing of the album just felt it felt nice when I listened to it, you know. It just felt right, and um, so that, that's I just kept it as 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 that. Dope, dope. How has the UK scene impacted you musically or affected you musically since the start of the pandemic? Like, what have been some of your music business challenges as well as some of the ways you've benefited since 2020? Mm, when you say the UK music scene, I don't... Well, know, let, I, yeah, we could, we don't, it doesn't have to be UK music scene. Just, just, I guess, I, let's just say you as, a, as you, where you are as an artist. We could, we could talk from that perspective. I mean, I think the challenges have come in uh, performing, you know, not being able to perform. I mean, I've never really been an artist that did that many shows, but I never had like two years where I never did any shows, you know, mm-hmm. I never, never went overseas to do a booking. So that, that has changed things quite somewhat, um, you know, but also I think, I just think like even, even the way I noticed that I think streaming had dipped when the pandemic hit. People weren't listening to music as much, and and when I tell people that, because I, you know, I see the stats and all of that, I tell people that, and they'd be like, "Really? Like, I would think it's the other way around, but it's like not, because I think there was a lot of time where people would listen to music. I think a hell of a lot on the commute to work. It's almost an escapism, you know. I gotta go to this place. That I gotta be out here all day, and even when you get to work, some jobs you can just listen to music and be away on your computer, and then suddenly we're we're you know, a huge part of the population are working from home and they're not having to do that commute every day. They're not necessarily saying, well, in in place of that time, I'm still going to put on my white earphones and listen to that music. Do you know what I mean? They might laze around in bed and or watch TV or whatever. And so a huge amount of, um, well, I won't say huge, but I'd say a large proportion of streaming um, numbers dipped mm. throughout the pandemic, you know, um, again, like if you, if you look at streaming, I used to think that, yeah, people would stream music more on the weekends. Gen- generally, for every artist, for most artists, all their streaming numbers dip on the weekend. It's when people engage with music less because they've made other plans, they're out, they're doing other things and whatnot. So people je- tend to engage with streaming music uh, Monday to Friday more than any other time, you know. And, and so when the pandemic hit, that changed you know human behavior in terms of how we consume music which then would impact on your revenue and how much you can earn and so you start to earn a bit less and so on and so forth and so some of the challenges were just you know staying afloat and um just seeing seeing other ways to keep revenue coming in and you know i decided i decided in 2020 that 2021 was going to be a year to really try to maximize releasing music which is why we had the lilac pack and the honey pack with beasties and why we had we met in tokyo with substantial and trapped in jazz which is an instrumental album with jazz dust another one and then you know um neon the, the 
dance album and then beautiful soul. And and for me, it was saying as well, not just I'm just going to release loads of music, but I'm going to release music in ways that I haven't before. So I haven't produced an EP for another rapper, um, you know, um, a female rapper from New York. I haven't produced a, a project for Substantial in the way that we did it. So it's doing something new. I've never put out like a house music album. So it wasn't just more rap music. It was, it was saying, okay, I'm going to put out more, but I'm going to try to diversify what I'm doing. Like Trapped in Jazz, it was like, okay, I'm trying to mix trap with jazz and see what kind of a creation that brings. And so that was kind of my way to try and adapt, to try and say, try new things and, and maybe keep on the release schedule, keep the numbers going, but also make sure that it's quality music. You know, Beautiful Soul, like I said, I started work on that on April 2020 and it came out in November 2021. So it's not like a smash and grab, like I'm just gonna rush and put out this music, but I definitely said, you know, let me broaden my horizons. Wow, man. You know, when, when I think about all of the projects that you put out this year, it, it makes me wonder, like, were you, did you work on the majority of those projects in 2020 and then release them in 2021? Like how, like that's like, at least, I think you named at least five projects that came out within this year. Like what was your, I guess, what was the duration or the time that you had to put out so much and then also make it sound so good? So it's a mixture. Like, so Trapped in Jazz, I started in the summer of 2020. Um, started that and did bits and pieces whereas the stuff with vsteez we started in december of no we started around october november sorry of 2020 and then we had finished maybe by december of 2020 and then and then we did that so that was the first EP, the lilac pack second one i think we were kicking it in like february march april and then we had that ready for like july mm. you know um, like I said, I started, yeah, Beautiful Soul in April of last year and, and worked on the bulk of it in terms of the musical structure back then, but then kind of left it alone for a while. Um, Jazz Dust, from its inception, took about three or four days to do. You know, I just went in with Jazz Dust and said, I want to just do a kind of dusty, jazzy, hip-hop, boom-rap album. And it's funny because when I listen to that, the albums like some of the sample choices on there are so i almost feel like i should have done rhymes in some of these choices like yeah. some really beautiful sample choices on there um so jazz dust was quick neon was something that i had worked on bits and pieces of it from a few years before just skeletal ideas and then as time went, went by i started to build on it so some projects are from you know very recent in terms of their inception some are going back a long time and then some are kind of like in between you know and, and and sometimes i'll just be like okay let me let me put my my equipment on and let me get up this set of music that i've been working on and see what that looks like right now see if i can get that closer to a finished state you know so it just depends on what i'm feeling you know right now i'm just tinkering not really seriously but i'm tinkering with ideas for um maybe another dance music project i've been you know working on some ideas for that but nothing that serious, just playing around in logic and seeing what comes. I'm really trying to, trying to just chill for the holidays, to be honest. I hear you, man. I mean, you've did a, you've done way more than enough, I think, to you deserve to chill. You know what I mean? Um, how, 
how um what would you say is your contribution to music years from now when people look back at your catalog um what do you think people would say you brought uniquely to music like what was your stamp i think i think to answer that question you know would be a level of sophistication to hip-hop you know especially with the jazz like to be able to to be able to almost approach making hip-hop music from a real connoisseur kind of perspective you know a lot of the projects that i do when i when i get into them like incognito in soho my 2017 instrument album on nights in nippon uh, I think it's a 2013 or 12, sorry, um, instrumental album. These are albums that, even though they're instrumental albums, they they were conceptualized, you know, they're, they're not just a bunch of beats that I had sitting around. It was like, okay, I'm going to make a project that does this um, or that feels like this. And um, I think that there's just a, a certain level of sophistication in that, um, in my approach and, and so I think that's it I mean music in some ways is in a lot of ways is very subjective so people take from it what they take from it but for me that's what it feels like I'm given I'm given a level of sophistication and a certain level of connoisseurism if there's such a such a word you know um, to hip-hop as, as a hip-hop producer and that's the thing even with making beautiful soul make, making I never said this earlier but beautiful soul was an opportunity for me to show people and show fans that I'm more than just a hip hop producer. Like it was me just saying, I'm a music producer. Absolutely. You know, these are songs that I can hear Adele or Amy Winehouse or Lily Allen or, you know, these types of artists maybe just singing on and doing a song, you know, this, this wasn't just about rap. This is just about music now, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I, I feel like. I, I want to be remembered for bringing to hip hop, like to be able to transcend just being that beat maker in the bedroom to, to really understanding and bringing a level of finesse to hip hop. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So uh, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. It was definitely a pleasure chatting with you today, man. Um, you have, you know, I've, I've been. It's been an insightful conversation and, and you answered a lot of these questions really well. It gives me a lot more context to your, you know, your process of making music. So my next and closing question for you is what's next for you musically? Like what it what well, I'll say this. I know you got more projects coming. I just expect that with you. <laughs> but um like what what it, what is the next project that you would like to do? that challenges you like you know something that i just makes a another unique contribution to your artist catalog is that is that something you are thinking of that you would like to share um if i'm if i'm honest with you like i've, I've kind of arrived at a place where i feel like i need to take a chill pill you know <laughs> for a little while okay because because i've I've done so much, like even with doing the 21 albums, like it's like I've done so much. Sometimes I get to, I will get to a point where like, I don't really know what to do next, but it will find me, you know? Got it, got it. It, it will find me. Like it will I, will, I will wake up one day or stumble upon something and I'll be like, that's the next move. 
it always seems to do that. But not at every juncture, I don't have the answers of what I I'm see what you're saying. So you've caught me at a place where it's like, I really don't know. No, but I think what I need to do is just take it easy for a bit, you know? No, that that's that's totally understandable. Um, I totally get it. Like, and sometimes it's the best thing to do when you don't have the ideas of what's next is kind of just let it naturally come to you, right? So I, I think you're taking a, a, a really good step. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard some, I can't remember what it was, something I saw on social media saying that we're human beings, but we spend most of our time as human doings and we should just be human beings. That's a know? good quote. Be. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. We should we should just be so right now i'm just trying to be you know and um and not not sweat myself like i i you know some days i turn on my equipment and i tinker around there's some days i turn it on and then within 15 minutes it's all off again you know it's just like oh, i can't i'm watching judge judy or something yeah but um but then you know then it, there's going to be a time when i'll turn it all on and then i can't i can't get up you know <laughs> i can't get away from it um but i think I think in order for me to find that next magical project, I'm, I'm, I can't force it. I'm going to need some time to just be. And so that's yeah. what I'm trying to do right now. Definitely, man. I could definitely dig that. So thank you so much again, Funky DL. It was definitely a pleasure talking with you. I wish you all the best in continued success. And, you know, just uh, hoping that your, um, your music continues to get to more people. You know, um, like I said, I, I was a little surprised that I didn't really know of you prior to this year with all the work you've done. But, uh, you know, I, I think that you put in such a vast amount of quality work that people, new people will only begin to know you more. You know, you'll be able to reach new people as yeah. the years go on. You know, but um, thank you again, man. And um, for the folks that may not know, uh, can you let them know like where they can keep connected with you, like your website, your social media, you know, so to be updated. My, my social media is uh, if you want to catch me on Instagram, my tag is Funky DL Hip Hop. The same on Twitter, funk, at Funky DL Hip Hop. Uh, my Facebook is Funky DL Official, so that's facebook.com forward slash Funky DL Official. I have a website online store, which is funkydl.com, F-U-N-K-Y-D-L.com. Um, and that's about it, really. Like, yeah, that's my Instagram, my, my Facebook, my Twitter, and, and my website. And, yeah, FunkyDL YouTube channel as well. I mean, you pretty much can just Google me and, and I'll come up somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Indeed, um, indeed. Yeah, so if, if you don't remember all of that, you just put in FunkyDL Twitter and it'll, it'll be the first thing that comes up. Right, right. Dope, dope. And to all of our, you know, viewers and listeners, I thank y'all again for tuning in. Thank you for rocking with me this year. This is, we have reached season three. This is season three. We're completing season three. And I started counting the episodes from one to this episode 99 from season one. So we have been spanning for a good, I want to say at least about two, two to three years of doing uh, interviews with artists, man. And it's, again, it was such a pleasure to have Funky DL as the 99th episode. Thank you to all of our listeners, all of our viewers that support us. You guys mean so much to, uh, you know, you know, being an uh, avid audience and supporters of this platform. And um, I will catch you guys on the next video, which will be 
Um, well, the next Out the Box Talks episode, I'll probably do some videos in between that, but the next Out the Box Talks episode is going to be episode 100, and we are going to be celebrating. So I got some cool things planned for that episode. But again, thank you all. Remember to go to the website, outtheboxmedia.com, to keep connected with all that we do uh, Out the Box related. And until the next show, I want to say peace, love, and light. Y'all stay safe, stay healthy, stay focused. I will talk to y'all next time. Peace.